It's been said that if you can be anything, be kind. Now, there's profound truth in that statement. However, when it comes to wildlife, there are times when we may think we're being kind when actually we're doing harm. Today on Colorado Outdoors, we're addressing the question, to feed or not to feed Colorado wildlife? You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. The podcast is powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. GOCO invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife, rivers, and open spaces. Its independent board awards competitive grants to local governments and land trusts and makes investments through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Created when voters approved a constitutional amendment back in 1992, GOCO has committed more than $1.2 billion in lottery proceeds to more than 5,200 projects in all 64 counties without any tax dollar support. To feed or not to feed wildlife, that is the question we're addressing today on Colorado Outdoors. Joining us to talk about that and much more is wildlife pathologist for Colorado Parks of Wildlife, Karen Fox. Karen, welcome to Colorado Outdoors, and I think the answer to that question is unequivocally no, do not feed, correct? I'm on your side, yeah. I'm pretty clear on this topic, too. So start us off with what makes up kind of the natural diet of wildlife, so we kind of have that understanding before we kind of progress. Sure. So it obviously depends on what species and what season we're talking about. Um, all, all kinds of wildlife are going to be existing on diets that are available at certain times of the year. And then um, just depending on what their needs are, carnivores are obviously primarily going to be eating their prey species. And then the prey species are eating the plants that are available at different times of the year. And then you've got your omnivores that are kind of eating whatever happens to be available, and it shifts as the availability of food shifts. You know, I think people generally, and, and I live up, I mentioned here before in the podcast, I live up in the mountains and there's wildlife all over the place, and, and I see people doing it. I've talked to people about why they're doing it, and they just, you know, care for the animals and want to make sure they're okay. But take us through the reasons as to why it's so bad when we as humans then begin introducing food that's not naturally in the diet of these wildlife species. Sure. So there's there's a lot of reasons that feeding wildlife is not good for them. There's also a lot of reasons that feeding wildlife is not good for, for people. So um, something that I don't know we highlight enough is that when you're feeding wildlife, you're teaching wild animals to depend on humans for food. Mm. And uh, I see a lot of wildlife-human conflict cases that come through so that I can identify an animal that's been involved in a human attack. And if we're feeding deer and teaching them that humans are a food source, then the deer are going to be not afraid of people, and they're going to be more likely to attack a human. If we're feeding bears, even if it's not on purpose, the bears are getting into your trash. They're learning people are a food source, and they're going to be more likely to be involved in a human attack. And then we also have mountain lion-human conflict, and there's not a lot of people out there that are purposely feeding mountain lions, but 
if you're feeding deer, if you're attracting deer to your neighborhood, that's the lion's main prey source. And so if you're attracting deer, you're attracting lions. And so I don't know that we highlight enough that there's a human safety issue to feeding wildlife. And I'm a wildlife health professional, so I'm obviously interested in, in the health of the wildlife species. But, but I think it's important to highlight that there's a human uh, human risk factor there as well. In terms of the animal side, though, why this is bad for them and from a health standpoint is that people are usually providing an unnatural diet to these animals. And that has a really big effect, especially on our ruminant species. That's going to be deer, elk, moose. And those animals are adapted to eat whatever plant happens to be available during a particular season. And that species change gradually throughout the season. Their stomachs, their rumen is what their stomach is called, their stomachs adapt to what they're eating slowly as those plants change. And if you're providing an artificial food, and a lot of people like to see corn, you also really like to get into bird feeders, those are sources of really high carbohydrates that the deer is not prepared to handle. Its stomach hasn't developed to handle high-carbohydrate food. And so when they eat that, it overloads them with acid, and that acid actually burns their stomach. When their stomach gets burned, it allows bacteria to get from the stomach into their bloodstream. They can die from bacterial infections. Uh, even if the animals don't die, those burns are still painful. They can end up with um, hoof problems because of that, that acid impact. We call that acidosis when that happens. And it's, it's really hard on the deer. And I know that, that a lot of people tell me, well, I'm not seeing dead deer. Some of those deer are dying. I know they are because they come to me for an autopsy. That's an animal necropsy. And they've died from, from the effects of that diet. Um, but even the ones that aren't dying, they're suffering from uh, what we call subclinical effects where you might not see it, but they're still, they're still feeling it. So um, providing an unnatural diet is really bad for those species in particular. Now, Karen, you, you touched on something that I, I think uh, may confuse people a little bit out there because we know that you know deer in the Midwest are eating in cornfields. Why is it different here in the, in the Rocky Mountain area for them to be munching on corn that somebody's putting on it? What's the difference there? I hear that a lot, too, and, and there's not a, a huge difference. So the deer that are eating in cornfields, we've got some cornfields here, too. We've got deer that eat in those, in those um, agricultural areas, too. And in the Midwest, they also have deer that are dying from acidosis. It's, mm. it's not every deer that eats corn that's going to die. It's a problem everywhere. It is slightly different in terms of the amount of access that those deer might have. There are other wildlife agencies that allow some amount of even supplemental feeding of deer. But the, the big difference between an animal that is, um, and I, I, rather than comparing it to deer and cornfields in the Midwest, um, we look at cattle, like domestic cattle, or even deer that are raised in a captive setting. And those animals are fed a high-carbohydrate diet as part of their diet. But what I talked about before is that the deer's stomach has to adapt to different food sources. Sure. And so if you are going to be feeding deer in a captive setting, you have control over the, the very delicate balance that you have to maintain in that diet. It's a very different process versus deer who have been eating this natural diet and their stomach has adapted to eat that, they all of a sudden have access to a high-carbohydrate feed. Their stomach's not ready to handle it, and it upsets the bacterial flora in their rumen. 
And that's where that acid comes from, is from that bacteria shifting so suddenly. You know, I think part of the reason these conversations are good, to kind of circle back on something I said a while ago, and that is the the emotional factor, the I'm just trying to help factor. And I know you've, you've come upon folks in the course of your day working uh, for CPW where people are empathetic and, and it's cold outside and we just want to make sure the animals are okay. And, and, and it's, this is an education process for people, isn't it? Oh, sure. And I, I am all for people caring about wildlife and wanting to do something to help. And if people are looking to help out, we can sure take some calls. Um, but I, I sure would appreciate um, giving us a chance to give you some guidance instead of putting out corn or bird seed. You know, Karen, one of the other things that's interesting that I guess many people don't think about, and that is when they get accustomed to uh, thinking about humans and food sources, it does change the natural behavior and disrupts kind of the migration patterns of, of deer and, and other species, doesn't it? Yeah, so not only are you you affecting that animal's individual health, but when you're attracting animals to a location, those animals wouldn't naturally be congregating in that way. You're, you're artificially congregating them in an area where they wouldn't normally be all coming together. And so that's a, that gives you a chance to spread diseases. Um, it gives you a chance to spread parasites. It gives you a chance to... Um, deposit your feces, urine, saliva in the environment, so then when, the, when another group of animals comes into that attractant, they're exposed to all those possibly pathogens. So in addition to um, disrupting their natural movement, the fact that you're bringing them together unnaturally is also affecting their health. And um, I think a good example of that, we've talked about deer a lot, uh, and one example is we see a lot more chronic wasting disease in for deer being fed. But beyond deer, something we've seen a lot of in the last few years here, at least a pattern I've only, it's taken me a while to, to notice the last few years, is um, we get foxes. Have you seen the foxes around or that look like really ratty? They don't have much hair on their bodies. Sure. So those foxes have a parasite. It's a mite. Um, it's a sarcoptic mite, and the disease is called mange. I think people are pretty familiar with it. We've seen more and more when we've got a big mange outbreak going on in foxes. turns out um, there's an underlying fox feeding issue in the area, and so people are bringing these foxes in that normally would not be going to the same places. They normally would keep their distance from each other, and they're able to transmit the mite um, through a feeding situation. So breeding animals... Um, out of their natural movement, out of their natural behaviors, is allowing for spread of diseases that wouldn't normally have that opportunity. Well, it's great information, and, and I know it uh, kind of is a little bit counterintuitive. We think we're caring for animals, but actually we can harm them by feeding. Karen, great stuff today. We appreciate you joining us here in Colorado Outdoors. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me. Now let's turn our attention to someone who deals with this issue in the field on a regular basis. Joining us is Katie Doyle, wildlife officer out of the Castle Rock area. Katie, welcome to Colorado Outdoors. We hear all the time feeding wildlife is not only illegal, it's bad for wildlife. Can you kind of quantify how big a problem we're talking about here? How often do you stumble upon this out in the field? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Um, so being an officer in the metro area, there's a lot of people here, obviously, and the wildlife are also here. So um, in the wintertime is when I get a lot of the calls. So it could be um, anywhere from two to five calls per week in mm. the winter months, which 
um, are just reports. So obviously there are people who are doing it who are not um, getting reported. You bet. Boy, that, that is a, a, a frequent issue then. How exactly is the law written so people understand exactly what we're dealing with here and what they can and cannot do? How, how's the law written in regards to feeding wildlife? Yeah, so there's a few laws for um, the state of Colorado. The main one that I deal with is a wildlife regulation. And if anyone is curious in um, looking up regulations or the statutes, they can go to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website and look that up. Um, but the main one I deal with is just feeding or attracting wildlife. And it is specific to big game, so deer, elk, bears, mountain lions. And then there's also a section in there specific to foxes and coyotes. Mm. So those are the illegal species, but obviously people feed more than just um, that and that is also an issue. Yeah. So, so just for clarity's sake, we're we're not talking about the folks that put something out for the squirrels or the birds, those kind of things. That that's not what this issue covers, correct? Correct. So, why is it important to enforce this this law? What what? Let's take us through that. You know, what harm is being done when somebody says, you know, I'm just trying to take care of the deer and the elk and and whatever other species out there. I'm just being nice to them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people I talk to just want to feel a part of nature, right? So um, it, a lot of it's just education, and people don't realize that what they think is really helpful for wildlife is super harmful. Um, the main issues that we have are um, these animals cannot digest the food they're being fed. So people will buy corn or um, people food. I've seen people bring out cereal and goldfish and mm. eat wildlife fat, and they just can't digest that. And inevitably, they will die because their digestive system just can't function with those foods. So talk about the dangers of feeding wildlife. I mean, you talked about some of the health issues, but there are some behavioral things that can be a result of of people putting food out for wildlife, aren't there? Yes. So when people feed wildlife, they become reliant and habituated to people, which is super dangerous because we don't want wildlife to feel comfortable around us, Um, especially during the rutting season for deer, which is in November. That's when the the bucks are um, sharpening their antlers and getting kind of feisty. If those deer are used to being in neighborhoods around people and people are used to going up near them, it puts them at a big risk for getting injured. Um, so not just by antlers, but deer also buck up and they can um, scratch you really bad with their hooves and injure a lot of people. They just don't realize, even though deer are really docile most of the time, they can be very dangerous. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking as you're, you're talking, you mentioned earlier about people wanting to be part of wildlife and they're just trying to be kind and, and how dangerous wildlife can be. It, you, I, I'd imagine you've seen it a number of times. We hear the stories every now and again where people uh, want to get out there and commune with nature and end up getting themselves hurt. I mean, that happens on a regular basis, doesn't it? When they, when they think these animals are more like pets than they are actually wildlife. Exactly, yeah. And a lot of people are moving into Colorado from other states where feeding was perfectly fine and legal. And so some people just move here and they think it's typical. Um, They see other people doing it. There are vendors that sell deer feed, which it's not illegal to sell deer feed, um, which is misleading for people. 
So, yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions, and it is a lot of my job just to reach out to those people and make sure that everyone's informed. And when it comes right down to it, uh, it's not you or I or whoever is putting the food out. It's the animal that ends up losing in this equation, isn't it? Yes. Yes, and uh, more for me, like I deal mostly with deer, but there's other parts of the state that deal with people who feed bears and feed mountain lions and elk and moose. And those situations can escalate very quickly. And so it's important that even though I'm in one area of the state, even if you're traveling to Vail or any other place, feeding wildlife just isn't a good option. We live in one of the great states in the nation. We've got phenomenal amounts of wildlife. It is Wonderful, I think, for all of us in education to be able to view those, those wild animals uh, out and about, whether it be deer or elk or bear or whatever else it might be. But I guess the, uh, the, the bottom line and the lesson in all this is don't try to domesticate wild animals, right? Let them be wild and let's enjoy them in their natural habitat, uh, in their natural uh, you know, way of being. Yeah, exactly. And we encourage people to observe wildlife and to be happy to live in a place that's filled with amazing wildlife and amazing scenery. Um, It's just very harmful for wildlife. It's also attracting wildlife into more urbanized areas, which could make them more susceptible to roadkill. Great stuff, Katie. We appreciate you joining us tonight. Colorado Outdoors. Yeah, thank you for having me. Our thanks to Karen Fox and Katie Doyle for joining us with their insights, educating us on letting Colorado wildlife be wild. Remember, when it comes to the need to feed, feed family and friends, but let the furry creatures fend for themselves. For anything and everything pertaining to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, go to our website at cpw.state.co.us. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Outdoors, powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Until next time, get out and enjoy the great outdoors in our beautiful state of Colorado. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a nationally recognized leader in conservation, outdoor recreation, and wildlife management. The agency manages 42 state parks, 960-plus species of wildlife in Colorado, more than 350 state wildlife areas, and a host of recreational programs from hunting and fishing to the state's trails program, boat registration, snowmobiles, off-highway vehicles, and more. All of its management is in perpetuity for the enjoyment of Coloradans and its visitors.